0: Um, hang on one sec. I lost my place in my notes. Oh wait, actually, can we go back?
1: Uh, I wish we compared
0: it. I e- think e- I see T- Time Warner to uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. <laughs> Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Sit me down. Say it straight. Another story on the way We've got
1: the truth. Welcome back to episode twenty four of Acquired, the podcast about technology acquisitions. I'm Ben Gilbert.
0: I'm David Rosenthal,
1: and we are your hosts. Today's episode is Microsoft's 2011 acquisition of Skype and the wild Crazy Journey that it took to get there.
0: Ben, you mean eBay's 2005 acquisition of Skype and the wild, crazy journey it took to get there.
1: Or perhaps the Silver Lake Partners private equity takeover with Andreessen Horowitz. In 2009,
0: uh, acquisition of Skype and the crazy path it took to get there.
1: <laughs> All that and more as we, uh, as we dive into the show. Um, before we get started today, uh, we want to do a community spotlight in um, user in Slack, Swix, S W Y X, pointed us at his company, I believe it is Sentio, S-E-N-T-I-E-O.com. Um They are the kind of future of Wall Street analysts. So they they have a software platform where you can uh, save time on research, join thousands of investment professionals on a modern and intuitive platform built by former Wall Street analysts. And he lets us know that they just launched their their Alexa skill. So um, check that out if you have an Alexa or go to their website to check it out if you're interested. All right, well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig.
0: Yes, when we had VJ on ACQ2 earlier this year, they were already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild.
1: This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes these things happen to them
0: while we're mid-flight. Yes, so I asked them for some fun stats in the past month, Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion end users. Now, that stat is not deduplicated across apps, so there's some overlap. But, I mean, even if you cut that in half to approximate actual flesh-and-blood human people out there, that's almost 10% of the world's population. Crazy. Okay, so that's one. Two, Statsig now processes about 130 billion events per day. So the infrastructure that Statsig now has to support these data volumes is pretty wild. And it's not like they just execute these events. They then take all the data from them, run huge statistical jobs across the whole corpus to compute the experiment results that their customers are running. It is just wild. It's funny, I hadn't thought to make this comparison until right now.
1: So you said 1.7 million events a second. If you look at the Visa numbers, I just pulled up my Visa notes, Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's, what, 200 times as much throughput at
0: Statsig than at Visa? On the customer side, Statsig added arguably almost all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and friends of the show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one core product. Today, they're a full-fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging, warehouse-native experimentation, and product analytics.
1: Yep. So if your team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out. Statsig.com slash acquired. And as always, there is special white-glove onboarding for all acquired listeners. Our huge thanks to Statsig cool shall we uh dive into the show there's a, a long and rich Ooh, and incredible history in on this one
0: there is uh this story has more drama than something with a lot of drama Yeah, then, uh, <laughs> a whole lot of drama
1: i don't know uh will and grace episode
0: yeah sounds good <laughs> bravo whatever <laughs> all right so our drama filled story starts all the way back in 1999 when uh two guys nicholas zenstrom who lived in sweden and Janis uh Fries, who lived in denmark were both working at the swedish telecom company tele2 this was early days of the well late days of the internet bubble but very much internet 1.0 bubble and this uh, tele2 that's t-e-l-e number two um They wanted to launch a web portal because everybody in those days had to have a web portal, and they wanted to call it Everyday. I don't know if it was Everyday dot com or whatever the Swedish uh, (laughs) domain, you know, uh, term ending was at that point in time. Um, But they had just one problem, and that was that nobody could develop software at the company, and uh, uh, or at least nobody could develop good web software. (laughs) And so they had a department in Estonia. Do you know where Estonia is, Ben?
1: I do. I do. I was. Uh, we'll 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 totally dive into this. But when I was at Microsoft, I was uh, fortunate to spend a bunch of time at Skype offices and uh, and spend a week in Tallinn at the, the Skype headquarters in there.
0: The Skype headquarters in Tallinn, Estonia. Beautiful city. A, uh, former Soviet bloc nation on the uh, Baltic Sea. Yeah, uh,
1: and it is it is wild being there because it is this incredible dichotomy of old and new where you have total Soviet block buildings and even the real old kind of the old city from um, you know before the Soviet era in uh, in talent and then these like you know uh, companies like like Skype and a lot of this sort of new revitalization and Estonia is a totally um, you know, imagine if you had the opportunity to intelligently start a new country today, all the decisions you would make and they l- kind of learn from the best and looked at what's working in in uh, yeah, I
0: mean, this is a company that was part of the or country that was part of the Soviet union, uh, until what, the late 1989, 80s. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so like, th- there's so much, if you ever get a chance to check out, um, there's a lot of really interesting things that they do as a government that are totally tech enabled. Like yeah. they, they have, uh, every citizen has a smart card that they can put into their, their computer and you can vote online because oh. you have a uniquely identifiable um, you That's know, awesome. electronic thing that identifies you as a c- citizen. It's super cool. Wow. So
0: 1999, the whole country is 10 years old. This Swedish telecom wants to make a web portal. So what do they do? They take out an ad in the local newspaper <laughs> saying, uh, advertising a contract job to build this web portal for them, and uh, they're going to pay 5,000 Estonian croons per day, which is about <laughs> $330 at the time. Um, and that was more than the average Estonian earned in a month, apparently, and they were going to pay that every day. So um, they get a lot of interest, and they end up hiring three developers, Jan Talon. Uh, we're, we're going to butcher these names, we we apologize, uh, Ati Heinjat and Preet Kanslau. Uh, we, we totally butchered that, and, and we apologize. Um, they end up hiring them, and there's just one more problem, though. They're very talented programmers, but they don't know PHP, which is the language of the web at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that uh, my problem was that I didn't know PHP, like sophomore year of high school. I remember that that would have been... Uh, like 2004 or five and uh, I wanted to make like this it, it's totally irrelevant but like that was the that was totally the language of the day right if yep. you wanted to do anything on the web it was like well you know you can if you have a php server running you can drop these fancy tags and to do dynamic stuff inside your html and wow everyone yeah
0: I mean for all, the longest time facebook was all ran in php yep uh no longer those days are over but back in the day PHP was how the internet ran so no problem these guys are super talented they just learn PHP in a weekend uh, and they build everydaycom or whatever it was that tele wanted it to be called and it was awesome um, so a couple of years uh, not even a couple of years go by uh, but but Zenstrom and Friese, the the guy in Sw- in Sweden and the and the uh, guy in Denmark um, they decide they want to leave tell and they want to become entrepreneurs, you know, internet bubble. Um, and this is the heyday of Napster. So folks probably remember (laughs) Napster. Uh, I certainly do. Um, won't comment on whether I, (laughs) whether I participated in the file sharing or not. I heard it was great. Yep. Uh, although I was definitely under 18 at the time, so whatever. Um, (laughs) And uh, so they decide that they want to start a competitor to Napster. Uh, and it's not going to be just for music. You're also going to be able to uh, share files uh, that of, of any type. So movies, you know, AVIs you know, um, and uh, software programs. you would be able to basically share and, you know, read pirate uh, anything. Uh, and so they decide that they're going to call this Kazaa.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, when I was doing the research, I could not believe these were like the same guys that did the Kazaa. Literally
0: the same guys. So, so again, but like they're not software developers. So, what are they going to do? Well, they call up the Estonian guys. <laughs> so, they call up the Estonian guys. And they're like, we're doing this. We're building an appster competitor. You're in. They, they come on board. They build Kazaa. It's awesome. Um, and it was indeed quite awesome yeah um, i remember
1: I, I was in always like an a epic war with my friends on what was better limewire or Kazaa, because they were both sort of the they, yep, they both the successors to napster, napster and napster gets death.
0: shut down yep. uh and so kazah and limewire become like the heir apparent and and um Kazaa actually becomes pretty quickly uh, the most popular application in, in the world
1: really like yeah. uh, not like, it is like not the like the biggest like the most popular application period
0: yeah it's like the biggest thing on the internet <laughs> <laughs> i mean the internet is quite small at this point right, in time but right. um, but kazaa basically owns the internet they're like the they're like facebook of, which of, which is
1: hilarious to make that that analogy because like thinking about you know Facebook's brief detour and and Mark Zuckerberg and those guys into doing uh, Wirehog in the early days of Facebook um, and actually being a competing priority they almost didn't do Facebook because they were focused on Wirehog on Wirehog I mean, yeah P two P file sharing was the thing
0: which sounds totally crazy now but I mean this, there actually was some justification for this. Yeah. Um, I mean, because so this because I launched in September 2000, and like I said, super quickly becomes the most popular program on the internet. And along with that, massive, massive legal issues, you know, <laughs> playing out once again, just like they did with Napster.
1: Which th- I mean, this will be the the uh, foreshadowing for all of the legal issues that they would go through with Skype later on. Oh yeah,
0: much more to come. Um, so, Zenstrom and Fries, uh I mean, they're they're riding high, right? Like, they have the biggest, you know, biggest company on the internet, but they're also terrified that they're going to get arrested. Um, and uh, so, they actually sell Kazaa uh, on paper uh, to some Australian businessmen um, <laughs> with uh, uh yeah I don't know. that's that's all i was able to find they find they sell it to some australian there's, business there's then.
1: just no in, like <laughs> price or
0: uh yeah it's uh, i don't know exactly <laughs> what happened we'll call it lost in the sands of time if you yeah lost in the sands of time if you know uh,
1: actually we would love to uh hear about that in um in the slack, in slack channel or slack, email yeah. us uh acquired fm at gmail.com it'd be good to uh follow up uh, and, and
0: it may be out there somewhere in the internet there's so much out there about because on the early days of Skype, <laughs> um, this was this show was so much fun to research. Um, so they sell the company, but they keep the technology behind it, um, and, uh, and that becomes foreshadows what will happen in a few years with Skype. Um, but so they keep the technology, and they start casting about for well, what else could we do with this incredible peer-to-peer file sharing technology that um, that we developed? And it might be worth a quick detour to just talk about how peer-to-peer technology and file sharing actually works uh, at this point in time. So the basic structure is that whoever's on the network uh, is connected to everyone else on the network. And so if you have a file or any kind of piece of data that you need to be transferring, um, rather than going and downloading that from one server in one location, which is how Traditionally, the internet and networking have worked and, mm-hmm. um, and and actually, once again, works mostly this way today, um, but this was before the cloud, uh, quote unquote, the cloud existed. Um, you could just download pieces of that file from everybody else, every other node on the network. So um, this is why on Napster and on Kazaa, you know, songs that were really popular were super, super fast to download mm-hmm. because if thousands and thousands or millions of users all had that same file, on their computers and they were connected to the network you could just download little pieces of it from many thousands of different people instead of downloading everybody going to one spot and downloading the whole file
1: and that's so much more effective because you know then your bandwidth constrained by that one single server yeah. um, it, it, in those days you know you had CDNs that weren't you know that that were not as established and, and well built out yet. You um, you know that the bandwidth issues and performance issues getting it from that that one single server. So uh, suffice to say peer to peer was this total revolution in maybe not the highest availability. Uh, there, there, there were um, kind of issues with reliability and some spottiness with it. But in a full distributed peer to peer network. Amazing if your neighbor had something that you wanted yep. that you could just one off grab from them.
0: And so um zenstrom and freeze at this point have have sold uh, quote-unquote sold kazaa but they've retained this technology and they're casting about for what else they can do with it and they they realize they actually have this ingenious realization that this same peer-to-peer technology can be used um for a bunch of stuff but for transmitting voice over the internet mm-hmm. uh, and if a whole bunch of computers all running the same peer-to-peer software, just like Napster or like Kazaa, were were online in various geographies around the world. As long as you had enough density in particular, you know, starting points and ending points of calls that were happening, you could transfer packets um, that contained voice, you know, across this peer-to-peer network instead of like, you know, in singular, you know, kind of routes between one computer and another over the internet. And, and it actually enabled really clear, High quality voice calls to be done just for free over the internet,
1: right? And uh, they they would eventually um, they actually developed their own protocol for this. You know, that's formally known as the Skype protocol that endured until I think twenty fourteen, and um, from there would sort of establish this hybrid model where they had uh, the, these direct peer to peer nodes, where like like we're talking about. And uh, super nodes, so you know, yep. uh, established servers that were uh, that were kind always of on, always and, on, and, and, and meant to handle that kind of traffic.
0: Yep. So this is uh, this is now kind of late two thousand two, early two thousand three. So they team up with the Estonians again, um, and they start working on an early alpha for what would become Skype. Uh, and they wanted, they decided they wanted to call it Sky Peer to Peer. Catchy name. Uh, super catchy name, but they wanted to abbreviate it to skyper
1: <laughs> which i think is cool i wish they'd stuck with it but i think the issue was they couldn't they find couldn't get the dot com name yeah. yeah
0: they couldn't get skyper.com so <laughs> instead they decided to just drop the r at the end and thus Dro- drop skype r, was cleaner born.
1: <laughs> totally so it, clean it, incredible at that time that that skyper was not available but it, you know skype a one-syllable five-letter word was yeah
0: like how often like that would never happen today that you would go down a letter and that that <laughs> domain name would be available versus a higher a higher number of letter domain name.
1: Pining for the old days,
0: um, but they they do something really right at the beginning too. So we talked about how the technology was pretty amazing, and and that enabled them. You know, it, it enabled people to do voice calls over the internet as long as there was a density of people online in both where the call was starting and and ending you know around the whole world uh way better than traditional telephone networks um but the other thing they got really right is they made it really simple in the beginning they realized that um kind of just like Kazaa and like Napster if you were going to build a huge network of people doing this you had to get you couldn't just have tech geeks doing this you had to make the software so easy that, um, that everyday people would do it. And so there's actually a, an interview, a, a quote from, uh, early Skype employee, um, Laurie, uh, Tapandi uh, at the time. And, and she says, right from the start, we set out to write a program simple enough to be installed and used by a soccer mom with no knowledge of firewalls, IP addresses, or other technological terms. Um, and, uh, and, and Because of that, and also probably because it was free and enabled you to call people in other countries for free when you used to pay a uh, lot of money to do that.
1: Calling even domestically was super expensive then.
0: Yep. Um, yeah. Even domestically, long distance calling was expensive. But think about, you know, in Europe where Skype is is based, like calling between countries uh, and, and people have friends and family um, that are in other countries and they have to pay exorbitant amounts to call them.
1: Yeah. And the telecoms were highly, highly regulated, um, had a very inflated price scheme where there was, um, you know, not necessarily collusion, but at least a, a set expectation of how much uh, you would charge for for long distance and routing between networks and by you know pioneering VoIP really coming up with this idea that like you go around all that entirely and i think I think the the funniest thing to think about is in in the history of networked computing, you know everybody that had a dial up modem we started with our data flowing over voice lines, and the way that it would communicate is literally yep. making sound over those lines, so it was like um i p over voice. <laughs> And then you have the advent of this and where we are today and, and how every office mostly has phones that are actually IP phones. And now all of our voice goes over IP. Yeah. It's kind of a hilarious. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's events. like this technology is so much better than the traditional phone system that now the traditional phone system runs on this technology, right? right. <laughs> which is pretty amusing.
1: Yeah. We're actually, we're sitting here in Pioneer Square Labs. We moved into a new office a couple of months ago. Um, and, uh, all of our, you know, hardwired phones that are like our desk phones are all IP phones. So like we didn't even think to, you know, to, why, yeah. why, would, why would we like reach out to AT&T and have them set up a, yeah,
0: totally. Um, so, uh, like I said, super simple, Free, really compelling value prop. Um, So Skype launches officially in August 2003. On the very first day, remember this is August 2003. So, like, the internet is orders, multiple orders of magnitude smaller than it is today. On the very first day they get 10,000 downloads of, uh, of, of first day they launch get 10,000 downloads of Skype by the end of the first month they have a million users God, by the so,
1: I'm so curious how they how, like on the first day so how do they get the word out I think that that that's a little lost to history but like, yeah it's not like there's an app store to be featured on the front page of
0: they did like super early growth hacking uh, you know emailed uh, they you know, friends and friends of friends and got the word out. I mean, they also had some benefit in that these were like the Kazaa guys. Right. So, you know, there was, uh, uh, they, they were known quality quantities. Um, but still, this is incredible. 10,000 downloads on day one, a million users by the end of the first month, 4.1 million users by the end of the first quarter, and just a hair under 20 million users, 19.8 million users that they get in their first year. Wow which is i mean those are like pretty decent numbers for even like a mobile startup today like yeah. there are no mobile phones at this point
1: <laughs> yeah and the fascinating thing about peer to peer i mean there I are mean, no smartphones at this point it's cheaper to yeah good point it's cheaper to start a company with the advent of of you know cloud hosting than it was in those days where you needed really expensive data centers. But with the advent of peer-to-peer, they could support 20 million users without those insane infrastructure yep. costs that it would, yep. that would you know, uh, any other company saying like, oh, it's, you know, 2001 and we're launching a company and we quickly have 20 million users. It's like, well, how many millions of venture capital did they raise? Yeah,
0: and, and they they did raise a small amount of venture capital before they launched. Um Interestingly, from Bill Draper, the legendary no venture way. capitalist, and Howard Hardenbaum, who's now at August Capital, uh, they were working together at a, at a different firm at the time, um, and they went over and they had heard that the the Kazaa guys were starting a new company, and they're like, "We're going to give you some money. Like, we don't care what you're doing. We're just going <laughs> to invest in you because like you're the Kazaa guys." <laughs> um, so they were the first investors, um, but then they launched and this growth is incredible, and so as um, as this growth is happening, of course. Every VC, you know, now in <laughs> in the world wants to invest, and so they raise eighteen million dollars from Index, Bessemer, and DFJ uh, after they launched and have this growth. Um, but uh, but things are still pretty crazy. So like most of the company is in Estonia, uh, where these original developers are, and,
1: and, and Estonians are crazy. Like that, if I learned one thing while I was there, I mean, I was there in February, so it's like you know, negative 20 degrees and like people are, are still like going out drinking and, yep. you know, just like like they get used to it. Like it's nothing. They cross country ski miles and miles and miles everywhere all the time. Like I walked away with this impression that like you do not mess with an Estonian.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, startups, like there's lots of, uh, you know, fun and pressure and crazy times in startups, you know, still, but like th- this kind of took it to a new, new level. So uh, I think still, even to this day, every new employee at Skype has to undergo an initiation and the initiation is you have to do a shot of um uh tequila sambuca and tabasco sauce i did this you did this yes. <laughs> this is amazing yes there's this
1: bar right outside the old yeah, city this in so, yeah this is yeah this <laughs> is
0: every from day one every skype employee did no this no wait,
1: this is on the internet
0: this is on the internet wait, did yeah. you see
1: what the shot was called
0: uh yeah there's like a name for it i didn't write I, it down
1: yeah I, I don't think like english speakers can't it's not it's hard to yeah, pronounce I, I, i'll see if i can look it up while you're
0: um so the other thing that they do is they install a pool in the boardroom in the office in Estonia, not a not a not a pool table, a pool. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, um, and apparently they have to like negotiate with the building about like yeah, building management, like whether the floor is going to be able to support this. Um, yeah, you know, I think it was a kiddie pool, but it was still like a ton, a ton or two of water that was installed in the boardroom. Jesus.
1: Okay, the drink was—it's uh, either Millie or Millie I heard it differently from different people, but it's like I, as soon as I saw it on Google, it's like, oh
0: yeah, that's amazing. You've been initiated. I have. Um. So, uh, so the growth just continues as we were talking about things. Are growing like gangbusters in june of 2005 they add video calling um which is funny when we think like when i say to somebody i'm going to skype them today instead of doing a call like i mean i'm going to video chat you um
1: right but that wasn't even added added until
0: two years after it launched
1: yeah oh five it's interesting to think like um fast forward to today where like they're they're uh, um, making forays into text chat i mean they've had text chat all along but trying to make that more part of the core experience started with you know, audio, then got into video, became ubiquitous ubiquitous with video, and a lot of other kind of chat platforms are competing against today that are are text and photo-based, like, that's that's not their kind of core and and starting place at all. And it's funny to think about, like, how, much like with phones, how primitive text seems and how complicated voice and video seem, but, like, there was calling on cell phones before there was texting on cell phones and you know Skype text was the third feature of Skype.
0: I think this is, um, I'm sure this is something we'll get into more in tech themes and, uh, you know, grading. Um, but it is pretty funny to think about that, that text is now the dominant medium of communication, uh, not calling, even though it's more complicated and more bandwidth heavy. Um, these days on smartphones so they launch video calling that grows also enormously and so uh, a couple months later september of 2005 uh, there is lots of interest in skype and um, from multiple acquirers big companies are interested in buying the company they end up deciding to sell to ebay for 2.6 billion (laughs) dollars eBay. Hey,
1: that was the the heyday for eBay too.
0: That was, uh, well, it was slightly post heyday. I mean, this was after the, Mm. a couple years after the the bubble, internet bubble burst. Um, But eBay's still a very large company. And uh, people are like, why is eBay acquiring Skype? And one of the rationales that they give for the deal is, well, uh, people will be able to, call each other and verify transactions uh you know
1: (laughs) the the mind-blowing thing here with this is like when we covered paypal uh, the paypal ebay acquisition um that That made made, that made so much sense because people were already using paypal as the a, a major source of payment on ebay and i'm very curious like were did they observe behavior where people were using skype to do this already or was it literally It's really just,
0: hard to imagine. Like, I have no idea why you would call somebody after they won an eBay auction. Yeah.
1: Like it almost even to me it seems sort of like eBay's foray into trying to become a conglomerate yeah. and like private equity style take on this high growth business that, you know, has a very pioneering technology and see if they can just you know grow that as an asset inside their organization and like theoretical synergies happen with their other product but to me you know hindsight's 2020 and we can look all smart here being like that was a dumb acquisition but yep. uh, eh, eh,
0: like I don't see it yeah i i agree i mean it would be hard to see this being a smart acquisition regardless however it was definitely a dumb acquisition because they made one key mistake as part of the acquisition and that was much like when um when the, when the Kaza guys sold Kazaa and they kept the technology, once again, they kept the technology. Um,
1: and, and so they had a, I think it was a company called Skype Technologies that literally was just licensing it to eBay. It, it was
0: actually a company called, uh, I don't know if it's Jolt ID or Jolted, it's J O L T I D. Huh. And that was Zenstrom and Fries's. Uh, company and they kept the the core peer-to-peer networking technology in that company and then licensed it to ebay and skype mm. and uh so as as we'll see in a minute that uh, that definitely comes back to bite ebay mm. um and the uh, oh, and skype too um so the transaction happens uh skype which is this crazy european company is now part of ebay based in san jose um you know run by uh I think Meg Whitman was still CEO at that point in time. Yeah, this um, is uh September of 05. Uh yep, September of 05. Um you know, very uh, uh you know, Silicon Valley but like very corporate as far as Silicon Valley goes has been through the dot com crash and now emerged and is a very large public company. Mm-hmm. Um so to say there was culture clash is is an understatement. <laughs> um and in fact in, in 2006 uh, most of the eBay management, uh, goes over to Estonia, um, to go, you know, visit, uh, visit the Skype team there and, uh, you know, go through kind of like the roadmap and the feature development and the integration plans. And, um, you know, that doesn't, doesn't go, you know, the, the Skypers aren't too excited about that. But then in the evening, um, they they decide they're going to throw the Skype team's going to throw a huge party <laughs> for this uh, for the eBay guys coming over and um, and so they throw this huge party at the hotel where where everybody where the eBay team is staying and uh the party ends apparently nicholas Zenstrom, um uh, we read this on the internet so it must be true uh, he gets behind the bar starts pouring everybody shots unclear if they included tabasco or not mm-hmm. uh and and then he gets on the bar and he's he's still you know he's pouring shots for everybody and he yells out what happens in estonia stays in estonia <laughs> <laughs> and um and, uh, the, uh, ends up like everybody, eBay, Skypers, they all jump in the pool. Uh, and they're all like fully closed at this point at the end of the night. Well, it turns out it gets caught by news crews in Estonia and it's on like local television, like eBay and Skype, like management basically trashing this hotel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then of course they have to pay for it all. And, you know, this is not like the corporate culture that, that, ebay uh, signed up for right, so sounds like a good party to me yeah it sounds like a pretty good party uh kind of wish i was there but um but the ebay management did not so a couple of years go by you know skype is still growing super super fast uh we get to 2009 um and wall street's like so skype is at this point um the fastest growing part of eBay division within eBay, uh, they boy, have that.
1: Boy, that's a story we've heard before. <laughs> yeah. With PayPal.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, the Skype has over, over half a billion users around the world at this point. Um, and is quite profitable and making a lot of revenue. Um, in the third quarter of 2009, uh, they made Skype itself did 185 million in revenue. Um, hmm. and, um, but but it's just not a fit within eBay and Wall Street is you know is is saying that they should spin it out or do something. This makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so they start working on a transaction that we referenced earlier, where uh, a consortium of private equity firms uh, and Andreessen Horowitz, which had just been founded by Mark and Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, are going to invest in directly in skype spin it out of ebay ebay will retain a stake um and and end up valuing the company about at what ebay bought it for a few years earlier
1: because i think somewhere in the middle there october of 2007 uh ebay did a write down internally of of the value of, of uh of skype
0: yep um and uh but there's still one problem again, which is that Skype own doesn't own the IP. <laughs> and um, and they're they're just licensing it back from uh, from Jolted, from from Zenstrom and Freeze. And so what happens? Um, Zenstrom and Freeze actually sue both eBay and and the investor consortium uh sue to stop them using the technology. Uh and there's this whole big and this is all playing out in public, eBay's a public company. So that's um, totally
1: roadblocking any of it. Totally
0: roadblocking, you know, there's a chance that Skype could just die. Like one one very real path was that if they couldn't use the technology anymore, um, that they would just have to shut the whole thing down. Um
1: and, and like i don't that's not realistic right they're gonna settle well right so
0: the other another potential path that uh the ebay and the skype team was furiously working on is develop an alternative technology to power skype but um again really hard to do that because the peer-to-peer technology is kind of the core of how this works right um and and then the third option is settle with them and that's really i think you know what was going on was um was the founders were um basically trying to, <laughs> trying to, um, you know, they, they wanted to invest in the deal and they en- did end up investing in the spin out. Um, but so they do eventually end up settling. And it's interesting what happens. So they give uh, Jolted um, 10% in Skype as part of the settlement. Uh, Skype gets, so they get 10% equity stake. Skype gets the technology. So finally the actual technology becomes part of Skype the company. Um, and, uh, and the founders also get an $85 million cash payment. But what's interesting is they then also invest $80 million into the spin out. So I guess net the, uh, mm. cash comes out about even for them, but they get then get another roughly 4% of the company. So they end up with 14% of Skype post spin out, huh. uh, eBay retains 30%. And uh, the investor group gets 56% of, of Skype. Also interesting as part of the deal, Skype itself, at this point, uh, Nicholas and, and, uh, uh, has a, a venture firm in Europe, which is quite a good venture firm called Atomico. Um, Skype ends up investing in Atomico's second fund and investing in RDO, the streaming music service that was also started by them. Oh, no Both way. of these as part of the settlement.
1: Wait, was Ardio uh, an Atomica company, or was Ardio who, who started? What's the connection there?
0: Zenstrom and Freese started Ardio.
1: No way. Yeah, they had a third act with. A,
0: wow. Yeah, they had a third act, and they had a fourth act. Uh, a company called Juiced, which was going to be a peer-to-peer video streaming, you know, <laughs> tell basically disrupting television. And Skype didn't invest in that, but they agreed as part of the settlement to promote juiced on Skype. I don't know how that they would promote <laughs> juiced on Skype, but it was a part of the settlement. Wow. Um, super interesting. This is a crazy deal. Uh, but it works out. So the spin out happens. Um, October of 2010, Skype hires Tony Bates, who was a star at Cisco to yep. come in and be the CEO.
1: And, and before that, in June of 20, 2010, Mark Gillette uh, who was an operating partner at Silver Lake, uh, became the chief development officer. So those guys, um, you know, this is where the folks at, Microsoft's, uh, at Microsoft start to become familiar with these names, uh, people yep. who are there now and have been there for the last five years or so, um, both played huge roles in sort of the integration and leading the Skype division inside Microsoft. Yep,
0: huge roles. And and so in these couple years in the interim, um, Tony and 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 the new management team basically focuses on like totally restructuring Skype. Um so integrating the technology that is now finally part of Skype mm-hmm. uh, into the company modernizing it
1: classic uh, and super well executed private equity
0: play incredibly well executed um, I mean I don't know if we're gonna disaggregate the g- grades of all of these acquisitions here but you know I think this definitely uh, is making a case for for getting the highest marks Um they also, uh, realize at this point, it's obvious that mobile is going to be a thing. So mm-hmm. they really push Skype for mobile, getting on iOS, getting on Android, yep. um, and, uh, uh, the business does great. And, and then just a couple years later in May of 2011, um, so actually less than two years after the spin out happens for eBay, Microsoft shows up and finally we get to the end of the story. Eight and a half billion dollars acquisition. Uh, Microsoft announces in May of 2011 that they're acquiring Skype. Uh, at that point, was their largest acquisition ever? Um, just,
1: just until LinkedIn. Just
0: until LinkedIn. And and, um,
1: and looking um, looking at just to recap, September of 2009, nine, they're valued Skype is valued at 2.75 billion in the private equity takeover. And then, when you look at this Microsoft acquisition, May of 2011. So, what, two, under two years? Under two
0: years later, essentially $6 billion, almost $6 billion of value creation. Um, Now, granted, I mean, there was a lot of pain that they had to go through to get that, but hey, that's a pretty good payout for everybody.
1: Yeah. And I mean, uh, value creation defined in the terms of, which I guess is how you define value, but um, value is whatever the highest bidder is willing to pay. Um, because if you truly look at the intrinsic value, I mean, it grew tremendously in terms of user growth under, yep. uh, under, um, Silver Lake, but boy, you know, Microsoft paid 32 times Skype's operating profits.
0: Yeah. So when Microsoft acquired Skype, uh, had 700 million users and in 2010, the full year of 2010, uh, had done 860 million in revenue and 264 million in operating profit. Hmm. Um, so it's still, I mean, a very rich price paid by Microsoft, but right. it's something that I think kind of gets lost in this, <laughs> all the ups and downs and roller coasters of this story. And, um, all of these transactions were reported so much in the press is Skype is actually a really, really good business
1: yeah absolutely i mean we we focus on this you know the valuation play of like basically ebay sold it for what they bought it for after some tumultuous years um you know the private equity days they they tripled it in less than two years um but you're right you know as an independent business uh you know i don't know if it's actually worth 8.5 billion dollars in in um in 2011 but like fantastic business
0: yep fantastic business and and ebay you know um We've been pretty hard on them, I think, justifiably so thus far. But but they did make quite a bit of money on Skype um, because they they sold a sixty five percent share uh, at the spin out, but then they retained thirty percent. Great point. And so when Microsoft bought um, when Microsoft bought Skype, they made uh, roughly back, you know, the same value that they, even just from that pretty close to the same value that they paid for Skype in 2005. That's
1: totally lost to the narrative. I mean, the intelligence of, of eBay to hold on to that much that it had had future growth ahead of it outside of eBay.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was never a question that a, this was a great business and B was growing super fast, Mm -hmm. even through all of this tumult. Yep. Um, and so,
1: to be clear, there's no more partial ownership after this. Microsoft really... I mean, they, they clean out the the cap table. They're the the full owner. They have an uh, entire... Which usually
0: is what happens in an acquisition, but I guess third time <laughs> is the charm for Skype.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're used to... Um, yeah, it's kind of shocking what happened with eBay. I was going to say, like, what we normally see with a tech company is they want full and complete control because they're going to integrate the product and it's going to become, like, you know... you. you as we're doing research, we look into Skype today, and it's it's impossible to get clear numbers on how the Skype business is doing because it's been so integrated into every fiber of what Microsoft's doing. And that's kind of the the normal story. People look at it like an asset that they've acquired that they move into all these pieces of their business, not this like independent private equity-owned thing that another tech company kind of owns and the founders kind of own yep. and like... It, there's management put in place to clean it up and get it ready
0: for a well, sale. Well, I think that's why, you know, part of the reason why Wall Street was clamoring so hard for eBay to spin Skype off uh, in the late 2000s because, you know, they reported it as a separate division. Like, it was a completely separate company. There were no synergies with eBay despite whatever uh, <laughs> whatever they may have said at the time of the deal. Um, but it was really clear that there was a lot of value locked up in that company.
1: Yep. Yep. So at this point, uh, Skype's former CEO Tony Bates is now the the uh, president of Skype, reporting directly to, to uh, Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer. Um, they have six hundred and sixty three million global users, and uh, you know it's 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 time to do the integration. It's uh, this is in the the. Um, i I remember this vividly when the one microsoft memo came out that um we the the company was going to reorient to more of a functional organization under uh yeah under under steve Steve. um since then obviously satya has come in uh microsoft's taking a little bit of a different or tremendously different (laughs) direction um and
0: uh, but what's interesting um you know and then we'll move on to i feel like we've talked a little bit about acquisition category already but um I don't know if you remember, you know, there was a lot of when Bomber announced that he was going to retire, there was um, a lot of speculation about who the next CEO of Microsoft was going to be. Oh, Tony
1: Bates and was And Tony Bates was pretty
0: at the top of the list, you know, it was Tony Bates. Uh, it was Alan Mulally from Ford uh, <laughs>
1: until he went and joined the board of Google.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> Good way to disqualify yourself from becoming CEO of Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, and uh, unclear that he ever wanted the job. Yeah, Maybe that was how he.
1: I think he was stated he didn't want the signal. job.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and and Satya, uh, but Tony was a very, uh, very legitimate candidate to potentially you know become the next CEO of Microsoft.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh,
0: he's actually a GoPro now. Really, he's the president of GoPro. Huh.
1: Yeah. Huh. Um, it's it's probably worth talking a little bit about what's happened at Microsoft since uh, since the acquisition. Um, so for a long time, you know, um, let's talk about what's going on at Microsoft during the period of the Skype years. So they had Office Communicator uh, that was part of the uh, the Office suite when you subscribed and, and you entered an enterprise engagement and uh, you know you you got Word, Excel, PowerPoint, uh, you know, Visio, the entire Microsoft Office suite. And there's obviously varying levels of that um, that would come with Communicator, which I believe in twenty. I'm going to get the date wrong, but at some point was rebranded as link, which was uh, something that never, I mean, that, that was a, an enterprise offering that, um, people who had a communicator in their workplace then knew, okay, we got link. Um, and that was not, never a brand that was on, on consumers, the tip of consumers tongues. And, um, in acquiring Skype, then there was this like very interesting, you know, dichotomy of well we've we've been building this thing called msn messenger which was our consumer offering for a while there was office communicator which became link now we have skype so there's sort of these like three different chat looking things that all seem to sort of do the same thing and it's taken probably three or four years um to really start to narrow that so msn messenger has been killed um Link is dead, uh, is formally, uh, you know, changed into, and then using kind of a mesh code base, but, um, Skype for business. So there's Skype for consumers and Skype for business for businesses, and uh, you know this is in outlook.com when you log into your your consumer mail offering you see uh, Skype automatically is there. there's uh, all sorts of apps for every platform um, it's baked into windows um, it's it's really kind of like across the whole Microsoft ecosystem at this point
0: yep and and let's not forget a year later Microsoft acquires Yammer.
1: yes and then all of its glory
0: <laughs> all of its glory
1: you know enterprise. Um, social or enterprise mass communication uh that transcends email is and will be a thing it just was not in the form of yammer yeah that was just is it yeah it's kind of an interesting product in the early days well it was it's interesting, interesting. go yeah. for it
0: um you know I, I feel like we're bleeding a little bit into this is probably another tech episode. themes here but um you know skype was really uh, well i'm just gonna say we'll talk about it more in tech themes later um Skype was really the first both business and consumer internet product, you know, and really, um, really in many ways, both foreshadowed and, uh, was the wrong instantiation of Slack, uh, to come, you know, I mean, Slack is a business product, um, but, very, uh, also used by consumers. Super um, user friendly. Super, super user friendly. And Skype's very similar. Um, you know, I think it was more a consumer product and the business model was more for consumers than enterprises. But it was the first, I don't know if it was the first, but it was a great example of a crossover product. Right. That uh, businesses, I mean, I do many calls with, you know, with startups. Uh, I do as, as Skype video chats.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I wouldn't say that uh, it was the wrong product. Like I think that video, audio um, serve a different purpose than, than what Slack is or glorified yep. IRC chat. Um, you know, Slack is is expanding to become communication and the fiber that that um, you know exists between employees. That's more than just just chat, but that's really their core competency. And the question is, who will own? um, communication in enterprises going forward and what form will it be? And will these things be combined? Yep. Like, are we going to see, uh, you know, a Skype like product and a Slack like product merge? And are we going to see, you know, uh, that happen, you know, are we going to see like, let me say this, right. Slack get Skypeified and Skype get Slackified at the same time.
0: <laughs> well, I think the, like these things are both happening, um, but it's interesting, you know, the the path that Microsoft has kind of taken since the acquisition with Skype. We were talking about this before the show. Is not a unified path. I mean, there's Skype for X, Skype for Y, Skype mm-hmm. product derivative Z. Um, it's very confusing. Whereas, uh, like unclear what exact what product that microsoft and skype are offering today that i would use for what use case whereas you look at slack on the other hand it's just slack like there is one product right. there is there's a,
1: no slack for one slack. front
0: door uh and it, everything is integrated into slack but it is one user experience and then you can do everything from within that one user experience um and i think that is uh just speaking on personal preference, but I think also, um, you know, speaking for most users out there, I would so much rather have one superior user interface and customer experience that I can accomplish many things from oh, than man. I would, Oh, am I stealing your thunder no, here? I'm
1: just like, this is uh,
0: maybe it always it's, comes back to it's, Ben it's, Thompson. It's, Come it's, on. it's
1: integrated <laughs> versus modular. And like, like it just like it's going to ebb and flow and it's going to be advantageous to be bundled and then it's going to be advantageous to be unbundled and then it's going to bundle in a new way and it's going to yep. keep going back and forth. And like we're about to see bundling, I think. And these, you know, we'll see this, st- this stuff get recombined and then we'll see it get rebroken out again when that's appropriate. But yeah. We want to thank our longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts. So frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring. Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them fast and simple.
0: Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired, Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product.
1: Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass that connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools.
0: Plus, they let customers build private integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps most importantly, your security reviews are now real time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence.
1: So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to Vanta.com acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. Vanta.com acquired. I want to move on to acquisition category.
0: Okay, let's move on to acquisition acquisition category.
1: So I'm going to call this a product acquisition. Um, There is technology in there.
0: (laughs) Well, Um, it very definitively was not a technology acquisition a couple times.
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah. It certainly was more of a technology acquisition this time than it was the eBay time around. Um, The reason I don't think it's business line is because they bought it at such a high multiple of what their operating profit was that they weren't just going to buy in cash flow this thing. Yep. They were buying a product to integrate into the rest of their ecosystem and and create a stronger um you know, a stronger offering across the board. This was uh, an acquisition done where this product was being greatly sought after um, by by both Google and Facebook. There were acquisition rumors swirling for about half the price of uh, Yep. Of, uh, what they got bought by microsoft for for months before this and so you know in a competitive environment where um video streaming technology is not yet uh, our or video chat technology is not yet commoditized we're still two years away from google launching hangouts you know this is a, a product that that has a lot of users is growing fast and uh and can really be integrated to beef up somebody's offering and microsoft decided it needed to be them
0: yep um i totally agree uh it's interesting you know i think the ebay acquisition really was a business line acquisition i mean it was totally separate it was reported separate it was a very different product um but uh, but the microsoft acquisition i think is very clearly a product acquisition and now with the integration that you've seen into all parts of the office suite and and other areas within the business yep um Okay, it, what would have happened otherwise?
1: It, it sort of is
0: interesting to look at, like,
1: the rise of Hangouts and, and like, uh, competing video chat and VoIP products. Like, it doesn't feel like Skype is the sort of one and only, the way that it used to be. Yep. I don't know if you feel that way, too. This I definitely is totally, feel totally that totally way. totally, anecdotal. But, like, I, I'm... When someone says, like, we should hop on a Skype call, it... Ends up being a Google Hangout pretty yep. often, or is,
0: in an enterprise case, often a Zoom uh, call. Um, oh yeah, or Blue Jeans. Uh, yeah, Blue Jeans or Zoom. Um, I found that Zoom actually tends to work the best out of huh. everything. Um, but uh, I I think this is interesting, and I want to talk about this in the context of what would have happened otherwise. Because yes, you're right. There were lots of rumors that Google and Facebook were looking at Skype as well when Microsoft bought them which I just think is super interesting and also comes back to this crossover nature of Skype. Um, Microsoft primarily acquired Skype, I think, for the enterprise side of the business, more so than the consumer side of Microsoft's business. Um, and, uh, and, and you see that, you know, it was actually, it was our, our friend, Kurt Dalbenny, who, uh, when he was president of Office, who, who led the acquisition. So it was actually being done through Office um, mm-hmm. at Microsoft and then think about like what if Facebook had acquired Skype, like, and then it would be primarily a you know a consumer facing product.
1: And the fascinating thing about it is Facebook had just launched like a Skype, a white label version of Skype inside, yeah. um, inside of uh, Facebook Messenger. So Philip Sue, I think, led this project, which is like the the overlap in people in this is is incredible. So when I um, Was doing the garage at Microsoft. Philip had started one of the most legendary projects of all time, and he was like a you know constant garage tinkerer guy, and had worked on all kinds of cool stuff. He ended up leaving to go to Facebook. Um, He's he runs uh, engineering in the Facebook London office now, but before that, um, did a uh, led the project to integrate Skype calling, which wasn't called Skype calling; it was just like video video calling within Facebook into Newsfeed. But and, it was power Messenger. It, right? Yes, yes, and so then I mean that left all these questions of like, well, is this their first? Like, are they just doing a little bit of a deal now so that you know they, they can acquire them, which um, you know didn't didn't quite end up happening. But interesting proof of concept there. Totally. Um, now that we're here in what would have happened otherwise, I think it's worth bringing up the issue of repatriating of capital and what that currently looks like for uh, U.S. corporations. Um, We've been hearing a lot about it in the news recently, um, in this kind of political race that we're in, about companies can't bring... You You mean this national
0: travesty that we're in? uh, Yes.
1: Um, God, I can't even think picturing him. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) We can cut that. (laughs) So in thinking about you know what could have microsoft done with uh, a lot of this capital that had overseas it had been a long climate of not being able to to bring it back to the u.s without paying huge taxes um skype is a luxembourg corporation Mm
0: -hmm. it's a pretty it's a great point
1: pretty great way to um you know in looking at like what foreign businesses could we buy that would integrate well into our products and give us like you know uh, this boost into, uh, communication. Like they, they needed, uh, a a consumer and to boost their enterprise offering in, in video chat and calling like that. It makes total sense when there's not a lot of better things you can do with that capital.
0: Yeah. I think this is a great point. And also, um, you know, something, uh, we don't know exactly how Microsoft thought about this and how much this played into it. But Ben, as you pointed out, some of the rumors that were circling about, other players google and facebook acquiring skype the rumors were at a much lower price right um was microsoft willing to pay a lot more because they had all this cash overseas that they needed to uh that they needed to put to work
1: certainly at a, a much healthier balance sheet than uh, than facebook at least at that
0: point yeah that, i mean this is uh was facebook public if facebook was public at this point i think it would have just been Let's see. When was the Facebook
1: IPO? It's, it's an easy. Uh, nope. Facebook was. Uh, yep.
0: Facebook was a private company at this point, um, not public. Uh, so, uh, would have been certainly possible for them to do an acquisition of this size, uh, but quite difficult.
1: Right, and and. Honestly, that's one thing I'm going to keep in mind with when grading this acquisition. I mean, I think that um, it's e- the the super skeptical lens that I had on uh, coming into today was Microsoft spent 8.5 billion dollars with Skype, and seriously, like, how are they going to earn that back? Yeah, like, are, are, <laughs> you know, it's it's so far from being something that they can just cash flow. Uh, it's. Um, growing, but, like, it was already a pretty huge business with, you know, a, a massive percent of the uh, um, uh, VoIP calls that were made um, globally going through it. It wasn't something that, that, you know, I thought had that much more, like, growth left in it, and nor could I, nor did I believe Microsoft was going to accelerate that. And, you know, it's it's done well. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's grown, you know, the way that you would expect it to grow. But, like, when you think about like in the context of what else could they do with that cash and was this the best thing they, or one of the better things they could have done with it.
0: Certainly better than uh, buying treasury bills. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, great point. Really great point. Um, I guess the other thing we should, we should cover on before we move out of what would have happened otherwise. Um, you know, I think there was a, the, a path and a very viable path for Skype to go public, um, and be a standalone public company again. That's right. Um,
1: that's right. And then, what is this? Uh, in 2010, uh, Skype filed with the SEC to raise $100 million. Yeah, they had
0: plan. actually filed to go public, um, filed an S1. Uh, and I think that was probably the plan at a uh, spin out when, when Silver Lake and uh, Andreessen and, and the other folks uh, invested in Skype. at a spin out was, was that, you know, with some cleanup uh, led by Tony Bates and others, um, that, that this could be a standalone public company.
1: Yeah. On tech trends, uh, I think that it's interesting. There's a good foray from what we were just talking about. Um, it's interesting to note for listeners that we keep seeing this pattern over and over again where a company gets bought right when it was about to raise a bunch of money, like Instagram, or um, somebody's out looking to do a roll-up strategy, and then they get bought because an offer was put down on the table to stop them from doing that roll-up strategy. And in this case, it was they were preparing an IPO, and that made them a really great takeover target. And it's really interesting to see... Um, that's my first my first uh, tech theme is that a lot of times uh, whether it's you're about to make acquisitions you're about to IPO or you're about to get bought um, there's a uh there's a little bit of like a, a leverage game going on where you pursue concurrent tracks Mm -hmm. at the same time in order to make sure that the pressure's on for whichever one you want to happen to happen.
0: Back when I was uh, an investment banker, we used to call this a quote dual track process, (laughs) (laughs) dual track being one track, an IPO and one track being an acquisition. And you're absolutely right. These things totally play off one another. And, um, the fact that you are, it is known that you are preparing to go public. You filed your S1, it's out there. Mm-hmm. That has a way of drawing buyers out of the woodwork. Yep. Um, yep.
1: Um, another tech trend um, is the rise of the mega acquisition. So, yes, yes. This seemed absolutely insane at the time. I mean, 8.5, like it was. Uh, it, uh, I worked around a lot of, um, there were a lot of cynical people in my group. Um, and, uh, Uh, when I worked at Microsoft and I like a lot of lunch conversation was people like counting the number of things that you like how many Skypes something was like, Oh, this is an eighth of a Skype or, you know, pointing out like, like making like crazy jokes about, um, what a huge number this was and how it was never going to pay off for the company.
0: (laughs) And And it turns out it's actually less than half of a WhatsApp.
1: It, that it's, it's so true. It's less than half of what's a WhatsApp. Um, you know, consumer, Consumer chat, broadly defined, also includes uh, Snapchat. And, you know, like, they weren't going to become Snapchat. They were on a very different path for that. But, like, could they have become WhatsApp? I mean, WhatsApp's value prop is that you could very inexpensively communicate across... um, It's amazing. It's it's the exact
0: uh, same value prop. It's just for text, not for voice. Exactly.
1: Inexpensively communicate across political boundaries and avoid the tax of the telecom. And, like, it is exactly that and you look at, you know, that, that what, $22 billion,
0: uh, $20 yeah, just, billion. um, just fully valued given uh, everything that went into that deal. Future episode coming soon at some point. What's I, just, I just don't think we have enough to decide yeah, yet on yeah. WhatsApp. Well, we'll I wait. think we need to wait a little bit,
1: but anyway, like looking at like, could, could Skype have become WhatsApp? Like it, it, did they, it, did they falter by not becoming WhatsApp or was it just a different well, era?
0: Yeah. I mean, um, it was totally a different era. I, I mean, I think so my, my tech theme, um, uh, this may be a good segue to it. Um, it is, uh, you know, Skype on the one hand, it's, it's kind of sad that I feel like this is a company that has never fully realized its potential. Um, yeah. given this crazy corporate history that it has. Uh, however, the growth of this company and the like, product market fit um that happened is pretty incredible especially when you go back to the context of when skype was started in 2003 and launched in 2003 and the kind of growth that it experienced Mm -hmm. and like what were you doing until like i was in (laughs) i was uh i was um graduating from high school and starting my freshman year of college in 2003 and I owned a tablet pc <laughs> like you know nobody had ever heard of, like there were palm pilots you know like but there was no there were no smartphones you know the global internet most people in america didn't even you know I don't know if it was most but certainly a large portion didn't even have broadband you right know. And so you couldn't use Skype if you didn't have broadband. <laughs> um, hmm. and like think about that in the addressable market, and yet how fast it still clearly grew. Um, and so, and so the the tech theme that I had is uh, there was a really great, actually, ironically, right at the same time that the Microsoft acquisition of Skype happened, uh, Bill Gurley wrote this great blog post called the um, uh, I, I believe the title is uh, All Revenue is not created equal the keys to the 10 X revenue club. And, uh, it's a great post. It's a great post. And he goes through 10 points of like, what is it that makes companies that are valued highly by public companies valued by wall street? Um, at ten times revenues or higher, uh, sort of these elite companies. Like, what are the factors that separate them from other companies? And he includes a slide from an early Skype pitch deck hmm. uh, in uh, in one of his points. And um, this slide is just amazing. Uh, the the point that Gurley is making is. Um, that companies that tend to be valued very highly, they grow on the back of organic demand versus heavy marketing demand is what he Mm -hmm. says. And so, you know, a lot of companies, you think about this and we see it in startups all the time, um, you know, your unit economics, quote unquote, may be working, but if you're paying a lot of money to acquire every user that you're, um, that you get to your product, you're going to have to pay, spend a lot of money to build that market and win that market. Skype never spent any money on customer acquisition. Uh, it was all organic. It was just pure product market fit. Um, and so the slide from the Skype pitch deck, uh, they're comparing themselves to Vonage. If you remember Vonage, (laughs) you know, was the Skype competitor in the day. Um, and Vonage advertised all over, you know, national television in the U S. Um, and, and the slide just compares Skype's, uh, cost cac to acquire a new user and Vonage Vonage is $400 that they were spending per new user and uh skype was one tenth of one cent (laughs) (laughs) and uh because they had they had no costs for every call it was it was a complete peer-to-peer model they had no server costs um and they were spending no marketing and so this thing could just grow and grow and grow and there were no limits to it um which is pretty amazing. It's, it's super rare to find these kind of businesses. Um, and again, like I said, you know, Skype, uh, kind of, I don't think gets the credit it deserves as a product and as a business, uh, because of this corporate history, but, um, but, but the growth is just impressive.
1: Yeah. 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 All right. On to grade the acquisition. Um, I'm giving it a B minus i thought i was gonna be much which acquisition are we grading here i'm grading the microsoft acquisition yeah i thought i was gonna be way 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 harsher like i um and in fact i didn't know i was gonna do this episode years ago but like i would have called it like a d in in 2012 and it seems like um over time it actually is getting integrated it it takes a long time because it's a big ship to maneuver but like it's the right move to have Skype and Skype for business and not have, you know, versions link of link and MSN messenger yeah. and totally deprecate communicator. Like it's, it's the right move. It was an amazing use of that capital considering other options yep. that they, they could have done with it. Um, and unless of course we see some kind of like big break where all the U S companies in the next few years are allowed to bring the cash home. But I, I don't really foresee that happening. Um, bring it home at a reduced tax rate. Um, And on top of all that, I think having this consumer offering and a little bit of that consumer DNA with all the, all the Skype teams, um, that, that have, that have built this product leaves them fairly well positioned for whatever's about to happen in the enterprise communication market that, that Slack has pioneered. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure they, uh, wish it looked more like Slack right now and less like the kind of like slow, steady growth of, of Skype, but, um, you know, if Skype Teams is a real thing, I'm excited to see it.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. It's interesting to think about, you know, think back to one of our early episodes with Kurt Delbeni uh, talking about accompli and Wonderlist and sort of recreating the Office suite and in particular Outlook on mobile. Um, and I got to wonder if, you know, and Kurt led the Skype acquisition when he was at Microsoft the first time. Um I got kind of to wonder if the experience with Skype informed some of the things they did differently with Accompli, mm. um, and in particular, you know, making Javier, uh, who is the CEO of Accompli, head of all of Outlook, uh, not just Outlook Mobile, but empowering him within the organization to really remake, and and it's still a work in progress and will be for a long time, but I think Outlook has made huge strides from the massively bloated, super old school piece of software it was before the acquisition to the still really bloated, but, you know, much nicer designed and clearly making strides. And, you know, it's my most opened app on my iPhone, um, where it is today. Uh, and, and to compare that to Skype where yes, Tony, uh, stayed at Microsoft for a little while and was in the running to perhaps become CEO mm-hmm. but then he left and also and
1: ultimately not like a product guy right also like, also like ultimately
0: it, not a product yeah, guy he yeah. plays
1: from the PE yeah
0: he was like a turnaround guy yeah um, and uh, and I think the lack of any real leaders you know corporate leaders um, within Skype that could come in and champion that, and and champion a product vision for Skype as part of Microsoft um, has really hurt them. Yeah. Oh, uh, the,
1: the heroes of Skype are gone, and the heroes that are talked about in, in Skype and the talent offices and other where, otherwise are the the original founders. Yeah. And like that,
0: the dudes from the newspaper ad.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you even go. Yeah. Right. You even go and you look at the the way that it's structured in the org now. Like, it's it's under Redmond leadership. I mean, it's it's all over. It's the, these distributed offices in like six or eight places around the globe. But like longtime Microsoft people that they report up to that, um, you know, they're, they're running it like the, the next evolution of link, which, you know, makes a lot of sense, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's very different than the accompli acquisition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and thinking back to what Kurt was saying, um, you know, that realizing that, ultimately a lot of these things really are about the people. Um, you know, that's what was not there in the Skype acquisition, yep. uh, as good as the product is and the product market fit and even the financials. Um, so I think I actually net out at the same B minus, like, um, would have been a bad acquisition, but for some of these other factors we mentioned, like finding a use for foreign cash, um, it actually being a good business, but just so relative to the potential that it has, um, not yet realized yep okay uh let's move on do some quick follow-ups and hot takes uh so follow-ups uh, from our android episode uh google recently held a big event and launched the google iphone otherwise known as the google pixel <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh sort of unapologetically so like their their marketing copy mentions like the iphone or at least their press release copy does and it, it, it's it's um it looks really good. Like all the reviews are super encouraging. Someone, someone here at PSL got one um, (coughs) earlier today. So I'm excited to like play around with it tomorrow. But like looking at the pictures, the comparing it against the iPhone seven, not counting the portrait mode stuff, all the flaws that I notice in the iPhone photography over the years where it like it flattens things too much and it like loses some details and it doesn't have like the, the incredible high contrast and the textures like the, pixels phone looks really really good and i'm excited to play around with it and aside from all that there there's like um there's a niceness to that hardware that we haven't seen in um non-apple devices in in android devices yeah
0: in a long time it's interesting uh well, a couple of things for me, one, we, in our Android episode, you know, we are like the mobile wars are over Google and Apple, you know, are not fighting each other anymore. And then a month later, you know, Google comes out with like the most direct shot at Apple that they've taken yep. in a long time. Um, but I still think the mobile wars are over. Um, the but it's interesting in that episode we talked about the days when Samsung was just like unabashedly copying the iPhone and
1: the worst design is, wise. I'm ripping this off from everybody needs to go listen to uh, the most recent episode of the talk show with John Gruber uh, with host Ben or with guest Ben Thompson. Of course, we can't go an episode without mentioning Ben Thompson. Of course, not. Um, uh, but this is John Gruber's line, but it's like, it's like Samsung always acted like Apple never exists. Like, Oh, Apple never heard of them, but look at the new phone that we invented. Like, and look (laughs) at this beautiful (laughs) new design that we came up with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and Google's just not treating it like that. Right. Yeah. And the, the really interesting thing. And uh, again, totally, um, totally go listen to the, that podcast episode. But um, Ben and John point out this really great point that uh, um, this is a, potential change in business model for Google not mm-hmm. only because like they're selling hardware and they normally are the you know they, ju- they just make the software and then the OEMs make the hardware but um, Google Assistant right now appears to be only available on yes the pixel and not on not it's, it's actually not part of Android the Google Assistant is part of the phone and not part of Android so yeah. I'll and and I think manufacturers.
0: this is by far the most interesting part of yeah this announcement.
1: So, so so walk through this um, in a world where there are you use an AI Um, the AI is there to give you answers not options and Google's business model is predicated upon giving you options, some of which are sponsored options. Mm. And in this voice world, like the user experience of this, we're, we're shifting to, you know, when banner ads didn't work on mobile and we had to figure out what yeah, worked and it yeah, was native yeah. ads? Like now we're shifting to this world where like search result ads don't work when people are asking their phone stuff. So Google had this incredibly profitable business model and now they there's a chance they might need a new one if this thing that they happen to be very good at, which like this is like the Googliest piece yeah. of technology of all time is yeah. creating this this Google Assistant. Um, this thing they happen to be incredibly good at is incredibly bad for their business model. Yeah, man, so this is they,
0: technology cycle disruption at work here.
1: Right, right. So then they look to Apple for like, OK, what's a good business model where we can leverage the things that we're good at? And it, it just so happens that it might be that um, the things they are good at being Google Assistant um, maybe they just have a really they, high they margin phone that they sell that
0: include the Google assistant. Yeah. Super interesting. So uh, go listen
1: to that podcast. Cause I'm totally ripping those ideas from there. And that is like such a good astute analysis,
0: Very astute analysis, uh, hot takes. Um, interestingly to me, I think the, the, interestingly, the least interesting thing to me that we are going to talk about today is at and and Time Warner.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 1999 again. Uh what's all is new and uh my senior research paper was about net neutrality, 42 yeah, pages of arguing why that That is
0: the most relevant and terrifying <laughs> yeah. uh, aspect of this.
1: It just keeps coming back and I every time we get closer to, you know, um the the telecom and the content uh, and a gigantic content provider being aligned like this, you know, it scares the crap out of me.
0: Yeah, but I mean I think a little bit like God, I hope, uh, knocking on wood. Um, you know, it's a little bit like this election cycle. Like it's like, you can't fight the forces of history and like you have these, um, wait, say more about that. How does that? Well, like, uh, that, um, politically, like we are moving towards, uh, a much more progressive society. Like that's the direction that history is moving. Um, and if you're going to fight that, you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Uh, and just like that in this case, you know, Net neutrality is the future, and content will be unbundled. And Facebook is worth more than every uh, old traditional media company combined, and that is the future. Uh, but what's interesting is that even though you know we can sit here and say like that's the you know the right side of history, um, at times like these these forces pop up that are total reactionary conservative um you know go back in time make america great again um and like hopefully they will lose right but um, i know that you
1: just compared like at&t and time Warner's merger to donald trump
0: I, I did that i just did that yes
1: yeah the the slogan of this like year-long process of fcc approval of this thing is going to be make america great again yes uh, <laughs> all,
0: right, all right we should just leave it at that yeah. um let's talk about the wire cutter
1: oh wait that um uh we'll link to this in the show notes but i um i tweeted a link to this article the other day that uh, had an awesome graphic of baby uh, basically the baby bells getting built back together it is so interesting <laughs> to look at like the the at&t breakup and um kind of the reassembly of the um terminator 2 robot into yeah. its its former glory and it's, it's super interesting to see how That's that, awesome. that works.
0: i feel like i should say one more word about what i meant by <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make yeah, america great it. again um it, like Time Warner has many good businesses within it and it will continue to be decent businesses, especially HBO, probably a really good one. But Mm -hmm. like by the minute, so good (laughs) by the minute, um, that world just becomes less and less relevant. Like who watches linear television programming anymore? Um, you know, movies are also undersea, like there's the old world media companies and the types of content they produce. Like, just don't have as important a place in a snapchat world you know I like it okay the wire cutter New York Times yeah
1: great for them God the wire cutter is awesome and I don't think I've bought anything of significance that was not researched on the wire cutter of the sweet home in years yeah. um so such awesome a great to see it. Great. Site. and I'm an unabashed you know fan of the New York Times and it's a, it's great to see them land in one of the media institutions that has figured out how to come into the modern era and like to your point earlier, go with the, the, the version of the future. And I yep. think like um, the New York times had it a lot easier than many smaller regional papers because they were truly a destination site. They had a brand built up. People were going to go there without um, having someone without someone needing to share content with them. They, you just go to the New York times cause it's the freaking New York times. But like, love seeing how progressive they are in you know the experimenting in VR and buying sites like the wire cutter and there's um we're just watching before we were um, diving into the show there's a great interview uh with it's, it's Brian lamb right yep. it's a, yeah with Brian lamb um talking about how he loves doing what they do with the wire cutter because rather than writing news he's writing something that just helps people he's like this this is a thing that People find continual value in over and over again. We figured out when to refresh it, what to refresh it with, when, how to tell people that we've refreshed the guides, and we just build a solid, long, like many multiples of hours longer than anybody would ever take to write a piece. And um, it's it's a it's a phenomenal piece of content that's super engaging that actually helps people. And um, you know, I, I think it's it's interesting what we'll see as they start to bundle it in more with the New York Times, coupling some of these buyer's guides with um, more investigatory pieces. And the example he uses is like... it's like, why can't anyone make a good Wi-Fi router is the, the investigatory piece that someone what writes happened
0: with the Samsung Galaxy Note <laughs> seven. Right,
1: right. But then coupling that with a buyer's guide for uh, wireless routers or phones, like what is actually the, the, the one that you should go by. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see, um, you know, the continued evolution of, of, uh, digital journalism.
0: All right. With that, should we do a carve out?
1: We should. Um, although I feel like I've been just sitting here doing carve outs for the last few minutes. Uh, I read uh finally got around to reading the super long form piece from the New Yorker called Sam Altman's Manifest Destiny.
0: Oh, it's a great article.
1: Yeah, it's like it's interesting. So, but for a little background, uh Sam took over Y Combinator from Paul Graham um and sort of like revamped the whole thing, made it significantly larger, opened up new divisions, uh, hired a, a whole bunch more people and um frankly expanded the scope of the ambition significantly. Hugely, yeah. And it's you, you either really buy into it or you think the piece is a mega puff piece. But no matter what, reading it leaves you with this mindset of a widened ambition and thinking about, like, uh oh, I've been thinking too small. And yep. it's, it's, uh, I love when things reset my perspective like that. So, highly yep. recommend it.
0: Yeah. Really, really good piece. Also highly recommend it regardless of what you think about YC or about Sam. And
1: and I fall on the side of like, I think, um, everything Sam's done is, is, um, I'm on team Sam. So
0: yeah, I agree. Like, um, the, not everything he's doing will work. And that's the point right, (laughs) Um, Right. that you can't be to have that scale of ambition. You know, you need to be comfortable with failure and that's, eminently laudable
1: may, may the failures be colossal and the successes even more so
0: yeah totally um great piece go read it uh my carve out for the week super fun one one of my really good friends uh from business school uh, Jake Saper, who is a venture capitalist at Emergence Capital, uh, is the star of the hottest thing to hit the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, uh, oh. since Silicon Valley. And that is Soma the musical. <laughs> no way. Yes. Which, um, ironically, Jake is the star of the show and he plays the entrepreneur in, uh, <laughs> in the musical, um, opened and ran, uh, in San Francisco, uh, last week and, um, was a huge success so big shout out to lots of articles you can go read about it we'll link to some um uh big shout out to jake and uh very very well done hopefully coming to a broadway stage near you soon
1: that's awesome yeah if you uh want to see a great show or you know talk about enterprise SaaS, go talk to jake
0: yeah totally
1: (laughs) (laughs) this is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies
0: crusoe so Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy... They can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers.
1: Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller.
0: The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead. as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. Yep. If you, your company, or your portfolio
1: companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com acquired. That's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud.com acquired, or click the link in the show notes. Well, that's all we've got today. If you aren't subscribed and want to hear more, you can subscribe from your favorite podcast client. Um, if you feel so inclined, we would love a review on iTunes or please tweet, Facebook, share with your friends. And uh, we are Acquired FM on Twitter.
0: We'll see you next time. See ya. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Huh?